You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, powering the transition to a resilient, renewable, decentralised energy system of the future. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK Services. David, uh, how are you this fine day? I'm well, thanks, Giles. I trust you are well. I trust all our listeners are well. And uh, what an interesting discussion on batteries with some fine guests, plural, we have today. Look, we do. Yes, a plural guest. So um, that was a bit of a technological challenge, but um, we've pulled it off, which is fantastic. I do have to say that there's an awful lot of interest about battery storage these days. We've noticed it on our website, Renew Economy, and we've particularly noticed it on our website, The Driven, um, because, of course, battery storage and the cost of battery storage and the duration of battery storage is basically what to make the electric vehicle market go. Um This week, we have talked to two guests from Fluence, which, of course, is a joint venture between Siemens and AES. And um, Sharp, sharp, um, or readers with good memories will remember that um, they recently put through a proposal for twin batteries on either side of the New South Wales-Victoria link to help upgrade that facility. But they've also been, they've also the... um, the architects of the uh, battery at Ballarat. Uh, they've been building a battery at Lincoln Gap Wind Farm in South Australia and have been very active in the US market in particular, both on the mainland and in Hawaii. So look, without further ado, David, I think we might just, um, I might just go throw into this battery storage interview. It's with Fluence, it's within with two key members of their executive team uh, based in Australia and in the Asia Pacific region, uh, Yard Clifford Bolt, or Jad Clifford Bolt, I should say, and H.L. Sondi. H.L. Sondi, thanks very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Thanks for having me, Giles. And welcome to you too as well, uh, Jad Clifford Bolt. Great to, have, great to be here, thanks. Well, this is unusual for us. We've got two people from the same organisation and we're doing a transcontinental thing as well, um, from India to Australia. Um, but look, um, technology allows us to do that, so excellent. So, Thanks very much for joining the podcast. Look, there's a bunch to talk about with what Fluence is doing. Fluence, of course, is a joint venture between Siemens and AES, and it's been active both in Australia and overseas. And it's been talking about virtual transmission lines. We'd also like to ask about virtual dams, which is something that goes with hydro, um, and also about the latest in technology. But um, I'm not too sure which one of you wants to start first, Jard or um, Achal. On the new developments that um, you're announcing this week with the Fluence battery technology, who wants to take that first? Well, look, what we've endeavoured to do, uh, it's Jad here, by the way, so what we've endeavoured to do uh, globally to to respond to what is a very, very fast-growing market and a very fast-developing market, both from a project perspective and a technological perspective. You know, lots of development, lots of... um, uh, uh, I guess changes in technology and and uh, you know redu- reduction in costs and things like that. What we've attempted to do, uh, well, very shortly we'll be presenting to the market is uh, a release of a new platform, our sixth sixth generation of energy storage platform, uh, you know, developed over twelve years and building in 
all of our uh, sort of knowledge and experience into um, what is a, a new form factor for, for battery storage. Now, some, some interesting things that, that we've attempted to do here and capture is, is uh, you know, firstly, re reduce cost, but also keep within that the, the high level of safety and, and capability within the systems that we've been delivering for, for quite a while. Uh, so uh, it, it is designed to be modular. It's designed to be flexible. Uh, you know, as, as we've just spoken previously with, you know, with you both, that one of the hallmarks of battery storage systems is flexibility. And you know, we, we seek to maintain flexibility both in the application to, to the customer and what they're trying to do, but also you know, with the solution itself. You know, things like scalability, things like uh, flexibility in application, things like uh, digital intelligence, uh, things like you know, extending asset duration and life, um, and you know, adapting to market needs and those sorts of factors. John, uh, what, what are you actually going to, I mean, what will the customer see? You talked about reduced form factor and you've mentioned cost. Uh, why is the form, how have you been able to get the form factor down and will, will the customer actually themselves see anything different? I think there's a software uh, component to it as well, but is it this new software or just a development of your existing software? Look, it's it's building upon our existing software. Uh, it's it's building in that the, the capability, you know, for industrials, sort of scale and industrial quality uh, energy storage systems, you know, power plant controllers, applications to the grid, uh, customer facing interfaces, those sorts of things. And it's really taking it into the, to the you know, 21st century uh, you know, in terms of being sort of best of market in terms of what people see, how, thing, how they operate these assets and how they can um, manage them over time. So what people will see, I guess the most visible aspect of what we're going to release is our Fluence Cubes. So they're a modular, um, uh, as the name suggests, a cube uh, of, full of batteries and, and uh, safety systems and management systems, which think it can then be sort of strung together and, and built up into an overall system. Um, the key point within that being uh, flexibility and modularity. So we can build up uh, those standardized building blocks to be able to hit quite a number of uh, targets for customers. So, you know, particular... Uh, performance characteristics, particular size and, and um, uh, you know megawatt and megawatt power targets, those sorts of things, you know far more than most of our competitors can do. So is the um, so, so this development seems to be more about software and the information systems that go around the battery rather than actually the battery itself. Is that right? Uh, to to a large part, that's that's correct. So what we're seeking to do as a company uh, generally is to to uh, build a great deal more digital intelligence into what we're doing. Um, you know, everything that nowadays is data driven. Uh, you know, we, we monitor, you know, every point we, we can within our systems and have done for 12 years. It's a, so we have a huge treasure trove of data uh, stretching back across lots of different assets and technologies and things like that. The question is, what, what do we do with that, that data? How do we build that into our, into our business and operations to be better? You know, get better performance mm. for customers, better ability to manage assets, better you know, to, a better ability to, to detect faults, to uh, provide better warranties, uh, you know, all, all sorts of things. And you know, that's a big part of what we're doing. We have a whole digital intelligence team that sits in the US to, to unpack these issues. A lot of machine learning, a lot of um, uh, you know, data mining to try and figure out where, where you know, particular trigger points might exist. And, and, um, you know, and often, type, often cases we have more data than the OEMs. 
So is that where the cost cuts will be delivered through um, sort of more, more of these sort of balance of systems things rather than the actual battery itself, or or will there, of course, actually sort of deliver efficiencies over time? I'm just just wondering. I mean, and maybe a, a child, if you want to jump in here or or, or later, um, feel free. But um, to either a child or, or Jad. I guess um, the, the first point is, uh, you know, as a, as a horizontal integrator, uh, as a business, Fluence uh, actively works with several different tier one equipment providers, both in inverters and batteries and other equipment as well. Uh, and so to the extent to which we can drive costs on that front is, you know, procurement exercise. And, you know, that, that's in large part driven by scale, you know, as, as, the, the market leader is you know, we have the most megawatts in the ground and are procuring the most megawatts. It allows us to seek the best deals from several suppliers. Uh, and you know, if one supplier has troubles or issues or, or you know, can't supply in a particular period, then we have other, other options. We have flexibility. Uh, in, in, the, in the technology that we, we provide and develop, you know, the cubes and the software, uh, that's about efficiency and scale and the quality of the engineering. I, I want to come on to this uh, to the uh, virtual transmission uh, thing that you've proposed, but I just obviously everyone's always interested in battery prices and costs. Um, uh, you, you guys made a submission, as did Tesla, uh, to to the ISP, suggesting that the um, assumption in the ISP about battery costs was uh, way too high and that they'd come down a lot. Are you in a position to, I mean, what can you say about battery costs today and next year, uh, you know, that from, from where you sit? And, and then I've got another question uh, as well, uh, but let's just do well, well, I can comment on the ISP submission a bit just, uh, just to give you um, an idea. So this is actually a few months ago now, right? But uh, looking at the, the assumptions they had in there, the numbers seemed like they were quoting numbers from maybe a year, year and a half ago, even maybe further back. And so it, was, it wasn't even too hard to see that the numbers were just way too high. Um, so I, I didn't even need to think about uh, where exactly the numbers are today because it just looked quite off from the pricing we have been offering our customers. Um, and therefore, it was quite easy to suggest that, look, this, this, these numbers do seem too high to kind of do any modeling around. Uh, in a least cost optimization model, which Amos probably using, it would never reflect that a battery would be optimal just given the price points that they were choosing compared to every other technology out there. Um, so, so without going into specifics, actually, um, it was quite clear the pricing they were using was quite well above the market at that point. Uh, e even if you took any of the existing assets on the ground in Australia and what pricing they were at, they seemed lower than the pricings in the model. So, Archer, uh, I'm... I uh, just let me ask you one other question. You guys, as as Jars said, are a horizontal supplier, and this is more the share market analyst rather than a battery specific question, I suppose. But recently, NEC, which bought A one two three, has decided to discontinue what is essentially a similar business model to yours, albeit on a much similar smaller scale. On the other hand, we have Tesla. Uh, uh, which I would say is your number one competitor, uh, and they might see it the other way around. They are getting much more vertically integrated. They're, you know, looking like they're developing their own uh, cell manufacturing capability, and there's a lot of excitement in the battery industry about, you know, things like their single crystal cathodes and stuff like that. I just wondered how your so you, you how Fluent sees itself uh, in what it does as compared to a more vertically integrated uh, approach? 
Uh, sure, certainly. So I, I think, and, and Jared can jump in right after this, but I, I think one, one thing we strategically took as a decision was we, we want to have the flexibility to maneuver between different uh, types of technologies in the battery world um, and, and even with different inverters, uh, depending on which location in the world we're operating or what is suited for the grid or the solution that our customer requires. Um, it, it, that flexibility as, you know, basically the different chemistries evolve and different technology and supply chains evolve. Obviously, different players in the market will evolve and you will see different different battery solutions coming out that will have better, how, how should I say, density or um, abilities to serve different applications, which we need to have the flexibility to, to, to deliver to our customers. And that, that's how we saw the opportunity of not going vertically integrated uh, com or completely vertically integrated. On, on, on a, another point, just when you mentioned NEC, I think as Fluence is a purebred, we, we only focus on energy storage for the grid and being having a focused approach like that, we think is a very important factor um, to deliver such solutions. And so, you know, if, if you have a focused approach, you, you are you're gearing your whole company and thoughts and supply chain around how you can deliver energy storage for the grid. It, it definitely helps in mitigating a lot of risks that might come along because you, you, you are not conflicted by what you need to do to direct the industry and deliver solutions to customers. I'll hand back to Charles, but I agree with you on focus. Well, well um, there's one other factor too. I mean, you've got to keep in mind that this industry, generally globally, is is uh, very fast developing. You know, as we're seeing, you know, the megawatts being talked about in Australia and the megawatt, uh, you know, size and shape of projects that are happening in the US, uh, you know, getting bigger and bigger, and there's more and more of them. And you know, more countries will follow. Um, we're positioning ourselves, you know, to, to take advantage of that. But um, in that, in, in lots of different industries, you see a sort of you know, a pattern emerging that there is, uh, you know, capitulation of some market players, there is consolidation, uh, there will be acquisitions. Uh, you know, that, that's the nature of the beast for this type of industry undertaking this sort of rapid uh, acceleration curve. Let's get on to the um, virtual transmission. I mean, one of the fascinating things about battery storage is that it's actually capable of doing so many things. I mean, just both on-grid, the main grid, and off-grid. Um, speaking on on-grid, I think people broadly understand the issue of just restoring excess capacity, wind and solar or whatever, for, for, for a time when it's better able to be delivered at a higher price maybe during the day. People are starting to get their mind around batteries as providing grid services, both with the performance of the Hornsdale battery in South Australia and the Fluence battery at Ballarat. Um, it's fascinating, though, about this idea of batteries as a virtual transmission link, you know, sort of, you know, expanding the electric superhighways, I think you've um, um, described it. And this is particularly for these twin batteries that you're proposing or you have proposed to be built either side of the New South Wales and Victoria main transmission line, which I think roughly now is about one gigawatt. It might be slightly different in either direction. But you're suggesting that by having two rather large batteries, 250 megawatts, not with a lot of storage, but with some half an hour or something like that, um, it can actually greatly expand the capacity of that line to deliver energy. Can either one of you just briefly explain how that actually works? Because this is batteries not quite as we've seen beforehand. Yeah, sh sure. Yeah. Sorry, I, I can talk. Uh, uh, go ahead, John. Do you want to? No, no. Please, please go, go for it. Okay. No way. So, um, so, so basically, that that that's absolutely right. So, actually, just just on a high level, I think you know we we're seeing a lot of applications that we. We evaluate will come more into play as the prices fall and 
And virtual transmission line is, is one we're seeing in the last few years really rapidly increase across the world. I, I can talk more about those um, in a bit, but for the app, the, the submission we made on the interconnector, essentially the idea is putting a battery there um, for a certain size. And, and we, we did specifically say in our submission that you know where exactly at what substation is, is, is dependent on any exact study that we can do with AMO or collaboratively to decide, hey, this is the optimal substation to put these at. But the idea is to expand the virtual highway or virtual transmission line temporarily um, whenever a thermal constraint is met or you know the, the line is just fully loaded um, to allow that more capacity can flow through temporarily till the market can readjust or the clearing, clearing can happen every half an hour, one hour. And then therefore the operator can readjust the power supply and power flows accordingly when needed. If down the road we see that this is happening too frequently, then AMO can then take a call that yes, an upgrade to these batteries may be needed or further if an upgrade to actual poles and wires may be needed. Um, and that optionality is what we, you know, it's very hard to measure optionality, but we believe that optionality is actually one of the biggest value drivers where you can actually size a battery right now, do a temporary upgrade that you need based on the, the demand forecast you're seeing. And then as things play out, you can either further upgrade the batteries as needed um, or repurpose those batteries for another application and then do the upgrade you were planning for. Uh, but the optionality value that it brings one to the customers and the countries is, is a huge amount. It's just it's it's hard to put numbers around it. Um, but with with that in mind, uh, you know, we all know forecasts and demand forecasts are very unpredictable. You have demand, you know, s demand side resources also that come into play, um, residential solar that come into play that can all change the forecast that we're looking at today. And therefore, you may not need that ultimate transmission upgrade. So the, the fundamentals for Heinz storage for us is we never want to have another cap, you know, big capex spend on an asset that is underutilized, be it peakers or transmission lines that have to be used maybe 10 to 20% of the year till you know, maybe 10 years out. We just want to make sure that that doesn't have to happen anymore and we're increasing efficiencies in the market by providing storage solutions. And so this, so, this uh, so feeds just, into that. Just to be clear, uh, just to be clear, I mean, that you, your, your, your proposal would increase effectively the line capacity by 250 megawatts uh, by and, and it does that by relieving the thermal and voltage constraints uh, at times when the when the line is fully would otherwise have reached its limits is have, have I kind of that's got right. that right that that's absolutely right and uh, on the other hand, uh, 250 megawatts doesn't seem like very much to me in a fully decarbonizing economy. And if you look at the specific example down there, uh, you know, in my mind, rather than AEMO's problem of, of Victoria being undersupplied if your lawn closes, I think the bigger problem is that if there's not more transmission, your lawn will have to close as Victoria's renewable energy resource is, is, is supply is growing very quickly. So I've seen other uh, suggestions that say that the option six in this VNI West uh, should be the one that's supported because it's a new 500 kilovolt line, but I guess you uh, and that would allow a lot more capacity to be built along it. But I guess you're saying that your solution, battery solution, could be implemented within 12 months and and is a good first step while these longer term routes are, are more fully uh, funded and the arguments about them are, are resolved, which will probably take just the, the fighting will probably take about 10 years. 
Yeah, and that's that's absolutely right. The timing of the construction, giving the optionality, thinking through what is actually needed, how the different renewable uh, projects actually do come online. Um, and, you know, the, the market fundamentals in what bills on the New South Wales side, what bills across the country in the NEM uh, can can change dramatically in a five year period. So that just it allows a bit more of a phased approach. And back to uh, comments by Jod earlier, you know, we, we look at our solution as a very modular solution. Um, and so you can expand in a phased approach when needed. If 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 and in, in the submission, there's a table that we say, you know, you, you, option one is today you you build this battery, and then option two is you may decide to go down the traditional upgrade of poles and wires, or you may expand the battery, or you may do a part part both, some upgrade to the line and some upgrade to batteries. Um, it, it 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 just gives a lot more flexibility to respond to the market um, and take advantage of kind of batteries today and wreak those benefits starting now. Uh, so you, you summarize it very well. And it's not just, just addressing the, the need stated in that in the RIT-T. There are, you know, there's flexibility to provide other sorts of services down the track should they eventuate or should they materialize. Uh, you know, everything from you know, voltage regulation to frequency regulation of all, all, all of its different flavors, uh, you know, other sorts of services that, that the grid might need at that point. Uh, you know, the battery can be kind of reprogrammed or applications added to do that. So it's it's not designed or not intended to be a one-trick pony in that regard. Yes, it addresses the issue for the RIT-T, but uh, it, it can do you know several other things. And you know, as and when those services are required, that that flexibility is is pretty key. We think it can be much more efficient in terms of investment. So I guess um, my question of this is, um, you talk about virtual transmission. I mean, in a sense, you're not actually sort of, um, I mean, you actually need a line to be there in the first place. So it's almost like a virtual upgrade type of thing. So you've got a line which exists. Um, you can upgrade the capacity of that, which may actually defer the need, as you're suggesting here, for a new link to be built. But when that new link is built, then maybe it doesn't have to be built out to the full capacity because you can always incrementally add and make it more flexible with virtual batteries. Am I sort of pushing that too far, or is that kind of is that your dream world? Well, well I think look, it, it's not necessarily intended to replace transmission. Um, you know, tr we obviously have a big grid in Australia, and it's it needs certain things. In some cases, this sort of application, you know, may not be well suited. And yeah, absolutely, building a new interconnector or other types of poles and wires will absolutely make sense. And that's kind of the point of the writ to look at that carefully and say, well, in this case, you know, poles and wires do make sense, and you know, you go go ahead and build it. Uh, in other cases, like like this particular writ T, we we think there's a, a really really interesting case to be made to take a different different tack. And there's a spectrum in between those two points. You know, in some cases it'll be poles and wires. In other cases, we think. You know, this will be the way of the future. Uh, what what we're trying to do is put a new type of tool in the in the toolkit of network planners. Um, you know, they've had the same sort of toolkit for what hundred plus years, uh, and suddenly they've got a really really flexible, interesting new toolkit that is dropping in cost, increasing in capability, uh, and it needs to get on their radar. So we're this, that's part of the intent of this submission is to say, well, hey guys, there's a new way of doing this. Uh, you know, look at it closely. And what about um, virtual dams then? Tell us about that. I mean, that, that's a, a proposal that you're talking about with linking batteries to um, hydro schemes. Can you tell us a bit more what that means? Yeah, sure. I, I, I can. I'll, I'll, I'll just explain a bit more of what we're seeing, one, globally, um, and, and why we've proposed kind of virtual dams around the world. Uh, there, there are several applications, but I'll, I'll start with first the, one of the, the, the two main obvious ones. One is, you know, 
obviously price arbitrage. So you, you're getting run of river hydro where you have to kind of use the power when you receive it or when you generate it. Um, having a battery in place with a run of river hydro means you can dispatch some power when prices are more favorable, therefore improving the economic case for a run of river hydro plant. That, that's the most simple form. Um, the, the, the second application we're seeing with virtual dams is actually if you add a battery to a, a hydro uh, plant, or, you know, or sorry, a run of river hydro, um, you can increase the reliability of the hydro plant. So for example, if the, the, there has to be some sort of reserve capacity or if, if there's a plant in the world that's bidding into the capacity market, they're given a factor of maybe 10% or 20% uh, because then, you know, intermittent. Uh, with a battery, that the, the amount they can play into the capacity market may increase to 40, 50 or 60% just because they're able to dispatch when required. And so that, that's how you improve the business case of a, a, a run of river hydro and how you can actually make them more, less intermittent, similar to a solar or wind plant. Um, and, and, and those are the simplest forms. The, the, the final one is where, you, you know, you have a hydro dam or a run of river hydro, which is forced to dispatch um, for other reasons, non-economical reasons. It may be for irrigation. Uh, it may be just because it, it has a must-run scenario. And with those regards, that those times of dispatch may not be economical for the plant. And putting a battery there will ensure that they can use the power that they generate at times which are more economical and obviously then of course support the grid with more renewable energy so those are the fundamentals behind what we're seeing around the world and just that you know we're trying to promote that across the globe similar to the virtual transmission so i guess new zealand would be an obvious uh, case which is very dependent on run of the river hydro uh, backed up with a little bit of gas and they ha they have a limited gas resource uh, so i imagine that you've uh, talked to some of the guys over there well, uh, yeah, there are some conversations. Yeah, there are some conversations we're having, um, at, you know, and across lots of different jurisdictions that have these sorts of assets. The other interesting factor is, uh, you know, there are various parties looking at, you know, pumped hydro schemes, uh, you know, other sorts of, you know, reservoirs and weirs and whatnot, which are often uh, very expensive, very time-consuming. Uh, and, you know, nowadays in, in today's environmental regulatory environment, you know, difficult to permit. Uh, you know, oftentimes these rivers are in national parks and things like that. Uh, so, you know, adding similar capacity and energy storage um, can be a you know an easier and simpler and quicker way to to achieve that dispatchable capacity than building a you know several megaliter, several million megaliter um, reservoir or something similar. So it's uh, it can be a bit more nimble than that. Uh, I've got no so doubt like batteries will heck, heck, heck of a lot easier. I think to I got build, the scale wrong. Yeah, I, I'm, ha I'm very happy to say that batteries are going to be a lot easier environmentally to build and permit <laughs> than pumped hydro. I don't think there's any doubt about that, and the time frame is much quicker. I, I would just bring up another question. We talked about battery economics, and it's always helpful to actually have a few numbers rather than just saying they're cheaper or more expensive, because I don't think that really does any help to any of our listeners to get an idea of where we're at. But I, but I can say that, or can see that in the United States, as opposed to Australia, uh, we're seeing an awful lot more four-hour batteries as they become competitive uh, with open cycle gas. Uh, what can you say about the relative costs of longer duration batteries? And I mean, in Australia, we're averaging two hours, but can you see four and eight and even 10-hour batteries uh, starting to be economic? And, uh, and, and what evidence can you provide about that, if any? 
you want to go first, Archer, or do you want me to? No, you can go ahead and I can give a global context, but you can talk about Australia if you want. Yeah, for sure. So, so Australia, you know, you're absolutely right. We're seeing, you know, quote unquote, shorter duration batteries. Uh, I think some of the first examples were sort of kicking around the concept of half hour batteries. And, you know, Ballarat's a one hour. Uh, Hornsdale was a little bit longer than that. Um, and then, you know, now I think you're seeing several projects moving forward on, you know, two hours. And, you know, very seldom do you come across longer durations than that. There are particular applications, and that's probably the point that, that uh, it, it really depends on where the value is. Now, Australia, as an energy-only market, uh, you know, with its FCAS sort of layer to things, uh, there is an emphasis on shorter duration. We just don't see longer-duration vol events um, to justify uh, you know, four- or six-hour batteries currently. Now, I think that'll change as, as you know, asset retirements and thermal assets sort of cycle out of the market. Uh, that'll start to change a little bit because the needs and the energy shifting needs for the grid, you know, with with increased percentage of renewables and you know need for dispatchability, that will that will shift. So I think you know you take your view on how fast that's going to recur with you know Liddell and others other assets closing, uh, that need will change. Um, on the cost side, uh, you know your dollar per per megawatt hour is is going to go down the lower the, the longer your battery uh, duration is. So um, you know. $100 a megawatt hour in US dollar terms is, is, is a target I think everyone's looking at and it'll be here before long. I mean, I've had lots of conversations with people who are looking at pumped hydro schemes and I say, we're going to undercut your business case really quickly because the cost of building a pumped hydro scheme does not go down very quickly. In fact, it probably goes up much faster than, than our price is going down. So you know, the extent to which uh, that, that model will work is probably limited. Just wondering, maybe a final question, um, unless David's got some more, but uh, just on the regulatory um, situation in Australia and the world, I mean, we often hear a lot of frustrations about how Australia's regulatory and rulemaking environment has not kept up with new technologies. And in fact, the Energy Security Board is looking at a wholesale rewrite of those um, energy market rules. And um, we hope that when they do come in, that they um, do keep up with these technologies and they are flexible enough to continue apace. How does Australia compare, though, with the rest of the world? Is the rest of the world also struggling with these things, or do some have are some more advanced in the way that they're sort of thinking about battery storage, um, or does it come down to sort of individual states because of their particular needs? I mean, Hawaii, for instance, um, which is an island and is aiming for 100% renewables and doesn't have pumped hydro, so it needs lots of batteries. Um, yes, broad question. Um, maybe um, a child, you can. Um, yeah, no, sure, no one? problem. So. I think essentially we're seeing, you know, the the regulatory framework around the world actually quite uh, responsive to storage and battery storage. So um, obviously we've heard of how the Irish market has developed several markets around energy storage to help them adopt a higher penetration of renewables. Um, that that probably is one great example of how a market has evolved to say, no, this is the right resource to include, uh, so we can achieve the targets we need to. Um, you, you see the UK had quickly adopted storage and, and then when they had the blackout in August 2019, uh, which was about uh, roughly two gigawatts going off the line, uh, they, they realized that the, enough, the batteries they have on the grid did the job they needed, but they just didn't have enough, so they need more. So then that you know, prompted a bit more of a, okay, we need more battery, we need to start procuring some more batteries for the grid, given how valuable these assets are in discharging and charging, given you know, if there's an excess in load or all the frequency requirements you might have. Um, finally, you're even seeing markets, uh, for example, most recently in India, uh, which, which you know, is a price competitive market, to be honest, 
um, seeing storage plus uh, solar, there was a tender that successfully, and I think I, you, you may have uh, commented on this, but there was a tender that was successfully done for storage plus solar um, and wind, and the prices came out much lower than the baseload coal in the country. Um, and that's got a lot of attention. We've seen that, you know, once once that the government was successful or SECI was successful in doing that tender and seeing responses that was, you know, cheap enough, also very competitive with pumped hydro, which was being bid in the, the, the same tender. Uh, they realized that this is a very applicable resource to use. And now a few we expect a few more tenders in a similar manner to come out um, because they realize it's not really just uh, you know, a gold-plated solution. It's it's actually a very feasible solution. So, and that's a four-hour solution again, similar to what Jad said that it's it's trying to dispatch the peak load for about four hours in the evening, um, and maybe two hours in the morning, um, and that replacing some of that base load instead of having a massive ramp in the evening uh, is is where you'll start seeing longer duration batteries come into play. Um, just just one one more one more comment on this with the virtual transmission where we started. Uh, Grid booster is a great example of virtual transmission where, you know, you're seeing a lot of a um, lot of countries in Europe coming together saying, oh, wow, Germany's just pulled together this grid booster application, you know, and they want to build these massive batteries along the line to enable renewables. Um, in, in a similar fashion that we presented in the, uh, the, the you know, the consultation, um, and, and then a lot of European countries around have also said, oh, this, this looks amazing. We need to try and adopt it. And you can see many European, continental European countries saying, how do we adopt this into our country? And they're looking at different options for VTL, uh, especially, but also at other battery options and applications to improve their grids. So, so it, it's, it's definitely not just a hype. People are taking it seriously. There have been some, I, I can assure you from the, the, the team I'm part of at Fluence, where our job is to open up markets and talk to the regulators. There have been times where we've had conversations where we're like, this is going nowhere, it's just a tick box. Um, but more recently, we're seeing very serious conversations and serious requests about how do we think about structures to enable storage on the ground? How do we think about what can we do to incentivize developers to build assets like these? Or how can the central utility themselves build assets like these? Because we definitely need them uh, going forward. And and uh, so I, I guess India is the is the main focus for for you in Asia. Um, so I so as I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm right now stuck in India, but I, I'm I'm based out of Singapore, cover, supporting the full region. So I support like Jad, who's fo in Australia. I support our sales teams around the region um, in proving business cases and talking to central utilities and regulators. Um, and so it's a, one of our core markets, of course, India. We, we, we do have an asset also we, we successfully deployed here, a 10 megawatt asset. But um, Australia is as equally important for me and, and for the region, if not more. Well, good stuff. Well, look, um, thank you very much, um, Jad Clifford Bolton um, at Chelsea for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. A pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you very much. And those were H.L. Sondi from Fluence and his partner in crime at the company, Jad Clifford Bolt. David, um, interesting stuff. It sort of seems, you know, battery storage. It's, um, it's certainly got more than one trick up its sleeve. That's always been the case with batteries, Giles, that they've uh, had a good value stack and it's been uh, how to access them and in different markets have opened up at different times. 
Affluence has a lot of experience in the utility battery market, as well as, as you say, the US and Australia. I think they're pretty much number one in Europe, and they would state that they're pretty much equal number one globally in utility batteries with our uh, uh, Tesla. Um, and so it is, yes, there's a lot of interest. Uh, and I think the role for batteries for for frequency control and batteries is one of the foundation elements of the new way we're going to do grid control. I think that's locked in. Um, and yet all the talk continues to be about the use of batteries for time shifting of, of energy, you know, and, and price shifting. So so charging up with all the cheap solar or excess wind and, and then discharging uh, at night time or, or, or whenever. And there's longer duration markets and uh, you know, gradually replacing gases as, as uh, in that role, and I think mm. uh, it's a pity um, the fluence guys, Giles, can't be a bit more specific on prices. They're always very coy about it, actually giving you any specific numbers. That's that would be my sort of. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Look, it's interesting because um, battery storage, obviously, we've seen in Australia, has played an critically important role in grid security. And so, you know, this is largely dismissed as some sort of technical detail, but, you know, it's actually helped keep the lights on in um, in, in many key states, and including and particularly South Australia, which has really had a very reliable grid ever since the Hornsdale battery, what we know effectively um, as the Tesla big battery, um, which will probably no longer be the case at one stage. Anyway, um, but yes, so there's the technical aspects to it. It's grid security aspects. Um, but you've also written a piece in the last week for a new economy about the growing length of um, you know, battery storage in terms of hours of duration. I had an article which pointed to the Hawaii situation where they've actually got a battery up to eight hours of battery storage. Now, Hawaii is a unique situation. It's an island grid. It's competing with very expensive gas and oil ex imports. So that's where long-duration uh, batteries with eight hours can make sense, and they do have a 100% renewable energy target by 2045. But your piece, David, just pointed to the fact that um, – the storage and the um, uh, the economics for longer duration battery storage are getting better and better. Well, they are. And I mean, um, so, you know, a battery is made up of several components and this is um, uh, there's the cells. And uh, generally speaking, it doesn't matter how long the battery lasts, you just need more cells because each cell has a defined amount of capacity or uh, even though that too is unchanging. Uh, but basically the inverter, when you're one megawatt, so, uh, inverters are rated for power. So one megawatt battery will produce one megawatt for one hour or it'll produce it for 10 hours in a row. And so, you know, the cost of the per, per, per kilowatt hour of power doesn't change for the inverter. No matter, um, um, well, it goes down, you know I mean? But the, so with, with the increasing capacity, so that that's uh, an immediate source of uh, price improvement. And then the balance of the system, uh, you also get some, uh, you know, the building can be amortised over the type, type of whole range of things, the cooling system, the insurance, the land cost, all of those sort of things, they amortise with the duration of the battery. So you get an economy of scale in part there as well. So so we are seeing the um, not just the price of cells reduce. And I think the other thing the, uh, that's got me extremely excited recently uh, when I look at the fundamentals of it is just looking at the improvements in battery technology. One of the articles that we you would have heard us cover, you would have heard, we, our listeners would have heard uh, us talk about was whether you want to be horizontally or vertically integrated or both. And Tesla, of course, is moving more into the vertical integration and they've uh, been a, a partner. Several articles on your website have mentioned uh, with Dalhousie into, uh, uh, University in Canada 
And we're seeing these uh, big improvements, we think, in the cathode coating material of cells, if I don't want to get too technical, which is essentially going to make the cells last a lot longer. Um, and I think that the lithium battery technology is improving. And as the guy said on the podcast, um, uh, not just pumped hydro, but all longer duration storage is, is going to see batteries increasingly competitive. Having said all of that, uh, I don't even think, uh, you know, the work I'm doing is starting to suggest that we're going to need even longer duration. There's still going to be a role for something that's really long duration. Mm. Well, on that particular point, um, the, from, from small batteries to very, very big battery and the Battery of the Nation project, um, it seems to have got a Guernsey uh, amongst the forerunners of the Morrison government's plan to sort of reboot the economy, um, roads, rails and mines and, um, and the Mariners Link. Well, obviously, nearly everything, I mean, you know, uh, to be a bit cynical, not that I ever am, but most of the things that the <laughs> federal government do, they do for their mates, you know, before they do it for anyone else, one way or another. They are, uh, and I think uh, Tasmania's got a few seats down there that are, that are important. But I must say, uh, um, you will get a lot of debate about Marinus Link the same way as you will about uh, Snowy. Um, Indeed. Uh, but I do think that the pumped hydro and the hydro in, in, in Tasmania is very valuable to Victoria. Uh, and I also think that there's a great wind resource in Tasmania that, like the wind resource in North Queensland, is not that well correlated uh, with wind from South Australia and Victoria. So putting I'm a big supporter of putting these extremities of Australia, the north and the south, uh, well into the mix ahead of when the ISP would really do it uh, because I think that will lower the overall costs in the long run. But I, I, I see how people can not see that. I mean, that it can be very debatable. And I want to say, Giles, that uh, we talked about upgrading the... Um, Victoria to New South Wales transmission with these batteries, which, which you know, are an immediate step. And I guess for uh, a few hundred million dollars, you can get something done in a year instead of having to wait for four or five years for the debate. But if you build Marinus Link, uh, uh, it will enable, in my opinion, the closure of your lawn, if that's going to happen, to happen more easily uh, because you'll have all this backup power supply from Tasmania and not just be relying on stuff coming down from New South Wales. Well, that's right, yes. And there's also this question about whether you do need an extra link between New South Wales and Victoria. That's the VNI West. And um, it was interesting looking through the submissions. Um, promoters of wind farms and solar farms in the area were very supportive of the idea and um, owners of um, other large centralised generators were less supportive. Um, one thing I was going to mention before we do go, David, um, two little things actually. One, wholesale demand response mechanism uh, was finally approved last week and it was not delayed despite some requests um, that push from some of the incumbents. That's actually a really good thing to happen. Um, finally, um, wholesale demand response has been done in some measure for a while now, but the uh, possibilities of it have been um, not fully grasped, but um, now they might, or at least from next October um, to 2021. So we'll have to wait a bit longer and then a little bit longer still for it to happen at the retail level, which can then sort of harness the resources, combined resources of um, individual households and businesses. But look, that, that's a good mechanism. And look, it's, it's, it's finally um, means the end to the only solution to dealing with peak demand was burning more fossil fuels and most likely peaking gas or diesel. Uh, absolutely. It's great to see demand response more formally involved uh, or approved. I think that's terrific. And a lot of people uh, have worked very hard on that. Uh, the PIAC guys uh, have worked very hard on that, uh, as has Dan Cass down at 
um, so so the Australian that, Institute and also the yeah the Australian Institute in the Total Environment Centre. Yep, just in case they weren't front of your mind. <laughs> uh, it's hard to remember so many acronyms, Giles. Not as young as I used to be. Um, <laughs> Talking about acronyms, them, um, you're, you're, you're excellent. Well, you're a whole encyclopedia of acronyms around. It's terrific. Well, that's right. See how I go with this one. AEMO has just released the ESU for the Swiss and the WEM over in WA, which is the Australian Energy Market Operator, the um, energy electricity statement of opportunities for the wholesale energy market in the Southwest Integrated System in WA. Basically, it's talking about the WA grid and what's going to happen over the next 10 years. The really interesting thing is that rooftop solar continues to be the dominant player. In fact, will increase its dominance, go from about 1.2 gigawatts to about 2.6 gigawatts. In fact, it'll be about the only thing that really grows apart from a few wind farms and some solar farms on that grid two coal generators merger five and merger six exit stage left and do not have any impact on uh, grid demand in fact grid demand overall is expected to fall peak demand is supposed to fall as well and be pushed later into the evening and of course as we've discussed previously with the wa state energy minister uh, and with some other people it's really quite interesting what's happening there about their actually accelerating the process to a rewrite of the market rules their own version of the integrated system plan a distributed energy roadmap which will lead to new inverter standards and a whole new way of thinking about the grid and that's actually quite exciting. I think it is. I think West Australia is going to be the second big experiment after South Australia. Um, and just a little bit more federal government policy would be very helpful. But Giles, our, all our listeners know what we think about those issues. Um, I think that no, uh, electricity, right, no. electricity prices have continued to stay uh, relatively low. Demand has now recovered to be pretty much uh, equal with the last couple of years, uh, broadly in the Australian market. Uh, the renewable energy share has fallen uh, a little bit in recent weeks because we're into the winter sun less solar uh, at the moment and we've still got a lot of new supply particularly in victoria to come online and that's uh, that's my take and that's a nice way to end it. Um, I'd just like to thank our sponsors, um, Solaray Energy and Evergen. Um, thank you, David, once again, and thank our listeners. Please do leave a review on your favourite platform, perhaps the Apple platform. I actually just checked that out the other day. For, um, more than 150 comments, all of them absolutely glowing. So, look, thank you very much for your support and your enthusiasm for our podcast. Uh, we do have a broader reach, um, ever more so each week, and uh, we, we thank you for that. And, uh, David? Charles, a couple more uh, interesting interviews for our listeners who, who might. We've got a couple of great guests coming up in the next uh, couple of episodes, too, I think. But anyway, time to go now. We do. We do. So please stay tuned. And we're not going to sell you who they are because we have to wait till we actually get them on board and actually locked in. But um, no, it, um, we've got some good programs coming up. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, a market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises the performance of residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen software is powering the energy of the future. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by SolarAy Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.